Welcome to the Small Business Wake-Up Call, the twice-weekly podcast that will open your eyes to the kinds of insights you can use to better run your business. Come have your morning Joe with hosts Lonnie Shambi and Stan Simpkins, who have the right recipes and ingredients to easily help you cook up a storm for even your toughest competitor. No lectures, no wasting your time telling you how smart they are, and no bullshit. The Small Business Wake-Up Call is going to make you think, laugh, and help you recognize how much money you've been leaving on the table with advice that'll help you improve your quality of life. Lonnie and Stan are small business veterans who will share their individual war stories and experiences, not only from their own businesses, but also from guiding hundreds of other small business owners in over 100 industries. Head on over to sbvirtualroundtables.com where you can connect with Lonnie and Stan and save yourself some headaches. Grab that second cup of joe, or maybe something a bit stronger, and let's see what's on the menu for today. Welcome to the Small Business Wake-Up Call, and here are your hosts, with cups in hand, Lonnie Shambi and Stan Simpkins. Good morning, Lonnie. How are you doing? I'm good, Stan. How are you today? Great. Welcome to our guests. We're going to have an interesting conversation. I understood you were up all night, couldn't sleep. Why would that be, Lonnie? Oh, Stan, I'm telling you what. I am so excited about this, I can't see straight. <laughs> and, of course, the eight cups of coffee didn't help either. Not at all. And what would that topic be, by the way? I'm curious what you're thinking. The topic ends up being culture. But it's really based around something you wrote about in your book that I think all of our listeners would want to learn and understand called the five M's. Stanley, take it away. <laughs> Thanks, Lonnie. It's interesting. And I use this in the consulting when I was practicing for clients. Like a doctor who talks about bones and muscles and ligaments and all the various physical components of the body, we have a similar language, if you will, of infrastructure. And I call them the five M's. And all businesses should keep these in mind as a way of really looking at the business in a more analytical way. For example, the first M is manpower or women power, if you will, the workforce, the people who get the job done in the field, if you will. The second one is the management team and the management structure, or in the case of many small businesses, the lack of any structure, the owner and the worker bees and nothing in the middle, what we call middle management. And also the management style. And you mentioned culture, for example. The third M is marketing. And if I add the word sales to break up the M, the marketing and sales aspect, how we get leads and how we close leads. The fourth is money, not just capital, but debt structure, payment terms, credit terms, you name it, everything that affects cash flow. Okay, And the last element of the five M's is the machines and systems, not just equipment, buildings, hardware, software, things like that. It's all the things that basically the workforce is going to use to get their job done. But let me add two more besides the five M's we mentioned in the book, and that's F, like in Frank, and T as in Tom. F is family, and for those of you who have family members in business, you know what I'm talking about. And we know the expression, timing is everything. And that's a factor. So you can do everything right. You only need one to mess up the whole outcome. Stan brings up a good point here. And you'll begin to hear this difference between us in the way we look at things, not necessarily the result that we get. And that is that Stan has an enormous amount of background in family business. Me, I work with the little guys or the big guys who have put their own money in, don't have family tied up in it, what have you. There's a different perspective on that as well, because family brings in a whole 
different aspect to it. And one of the things that I wanted to tie in was really what I called last week, or our last podcast, the sixth M. That's the overarching M, if you will, and that's mindset. And we're going to talk about how we apply mindset principles in each of these. We'll cover them in some depth. Today, we're going to focus on manpower, how your company and your relationship with your employees form the foundation for how a company's culture presents itself. And Lonnie, I might add, why do we pick manpower? Because we both know from the roundtables that you've attended as a guest, okay, this group that we've had for 24 years, that's the most common theme. They say, I would love my business even more if I didn't have to deal with employees. (laughs) I've never heard that one before. What a surprise. (laughs) Well, I mean, culture, which is really going to be the theme we're going to go through today, is really the soul of your enterprise. Once you kind of toss that over in your head, tell them more about culture, Stan. I don't know. I've never had much of it myself. <laughs> At least that's what you told me. <laughs> yeah. well, it couldn't have been my eating habits with a fork, would it be? I don't no, know. well, I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there. Well, we both know the culture is manifested by how ultimately we treat our people, how we treat our customers, how we treat our vendors, our bankers, even our accountants. Watch this, even our consultants. <laughs> Indeed. And so that's really ultimately how, I guess we'd say, you come from sports, uh, sporting background, the rules of the game, if you will. In golf, we call it golf etiquette. Don't do certain things. Don't move your cart before the next guy's ball. And that all does translate in there. I think, Lonnie, you've got a lot of experience in that, and especially with the turnarounds where you have to literally turn the ship, the big, big ship around when it comes to culture and why that makes a difference. Tell me about that. Culture is really built, first and foremost, on the owner's values. We're products of our environment, how we grew up, where we worked, how we were managed. You can always tell when you have an employee who does things a certain way, how they were managed. And that's how culture starts. It starts with the values that an owner brings to it. Well, you know, in the military, we used to have a term called shit rolls downhill. <laughs> I suspect that was the beginning of my introduction to culture. <laughs> well, it's more than that. It's how your values as the owner gets translated to employees. Something gets lost in the translation sometimes. Can you give me a couple examples, like on a positive or a negative sign? Yes. I mean, it's kind of like if, for example, a kid grows up in a household where everybody's always fighting or nobody trusts anybody or what have you, that's going to become the foundation of how the person's going to run their business. They're not going to trust anybody because they grew up in an environment that lacked trust. That's interesting. If culture didn't matter, guys like Tom Peters wouldn't have made millions of dollars in his book, Catch Him Doing Something Right. Absolutely. And what do you have owners who are seeking to catch somebody doing something wrong? I had a client like that. It was a woman-owned business in the construction industry. And she just, it was evident, I don't know what her upbringing was, but she thrived on catching people doing something wrong and just beat it to death. So you can imagine what the <laughs> mindset of employees was and how they walked on eggs all the time, eggshells. 
I always call that the wagging finger. <laughs> you don't want to do that. Someone who got the tail on the wrong end of the body. Yes, that's right. The interesting thing is that we get what we give, and that's nowhere more evident than the employee-employer relationship. If it's a foundation of mutual trust and respect, then that's how it'll work. But if it's a, I don't trust any of these people. They're stealing from me. They're not putting in the hours they say they are. They're doing this or that. Yeah, well, you're going to get that back from them. They're going to do just what's necessary. You hit a hot button there. Yeah, you mentioned that I've worked with a lot of small businesses, and that's, that's true. In fact, I remember being invited to go to Australia back in 1999, October, and they had me go from Melbourne at the very southern tip up to the Gold Coast, which is kind of midway on the East Coast. And I stopped in the five locations, including Sydney, Ballarat, and Melbourne, I mentioned, and Brisbane and the Gold Coast. And it's amazing how, though there may be a tenth the size of our market in terms of numbers of small businesses, there's a parallel. And you hear the war stories that are just like here in the States. The father who came from the old days, and not to stereotype, but was the less trusting, shall we say, was they came from the military. They had a very structured way of doing things of expectation. And the fun began when the son or daughter took over and tried to change the culture to what you're describing as more progressive, more trusting. And the battle resumed. Oh, my goodness. And it's, how do you go from one culture to another without the battle, family or not? Painfully. I had a mixed bag of, yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I did good. But, oh, it was one of those where I finally had to leave. It was a company that had been started by a guy who was... And still is there. He's 93 and still comes into work every day. And basically, he was at Auschwitz as a kid. And so that forms his foundation of what he's created in terms of a culture. His son is exactly the opposite. And his son will make decisions that will be countermanded by the old man two days later. But I've had Milani where the parents will say, yeah, let's do it. And then the first time it goes wrong, they say, I told you so. Told you so. Oh, yes. It lasts about 30 days. Exactly. I mean, a lot of this really comes down to communication. How you communicate what you want to get done to employees, to customers, to suppliers. Constant communication. Big deal. That's one of the foundation points of a good culture is not only mutual trust and respect, but constant communication. And that kind of thing translates directly to customers because employees will treat customers exactly the way they are treated. So how do you deal with all that when you're the guy in charge of the battle and you got nothing but incoming fire. From the back, you got fire. From the side, you got fire. How do you possibly stay positive and deal with employees with this wonderful utopian method you describe? Well, it's not so utopian. It's kind of like this. You know you're going to be in the foxhole. So what you want is you want people around you who you trust in the foxhole. 
How do you do that? Anybody can hire for position. Hiring for culture, way harder. But they're the people who have your back. Or as they say in the military, they have your six. And the interesting thing is when you treat them that way, they will treat you that way right back. And you're able to then, as all small businesses happen, you're short of cash. I mean, I used to tell people the worst thing I ever had to tell people was when I gave them their paycheck, could you hold that till Monday? What was even worse was to go home and tell my wife that we didn't have enough money in our checking account to pay ourselves. But it's hiring people who you know will have your back. But when people are dropping the ball, things are slipping through the cracks, how do we tie that into this culture thing and even the accountability element of culture? In terms of accountability, people misread that. Accountability is not, it's your job and get it done. No, 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 no. It's describing the job, role, responsibilities, et cetera, giving people the authority and the resources to get the job done. That's when you can hold people accountable. And if after a while, with all of that, they're still not getting the job done, what do you know? You got the wrong person. And I remember a little lesson I got when I was about 28. I was made a partner in this firm I had joined out of college seven years earlier. In fact, the founding partner was only 18 years older than me, and he was number one in Temple, and I wasn't number one, except for accounting, perhaps. <laughs> it, sounds but, like, it sounds like, oh, sometimes we'll talk about my college career. <laughs> but I didn't say I wasn't second, did I? Okay. <laughs> Let your imagination wander. Yes, yes. But I remember when he put me in charge, kind of like what you would call an operations manager. We don't call it that in the accounting practice. And I'm taking over and I'm meeting with the people and I'm, we're all agreeing who's going to do what. And teams like everybody's like into it and they're accepting me and I'm really excited. And before you know it, shit's flying over the place. Stuff is just not getting done. And he could see me kind of struggling, but he says, <laughs> come on over, we got a coachable put, moment. Put here. his arm around you, did <laughs> yeah, he? Yeah, <laughs> he didn't exactly use those words, coachable moment. <laughs> it had more expletives, I think, than that. Like, what the fuck is going on? What are you doing? Pardon my language. He says, Steele, let me teach you something. First of all, you need to get some training on actual management, administrative stuff, because you're an accountant most of your life, but I know you have it. But the second thing is, remember this phrase, people do what you inspect, not what you expect. And my reaction is, what the hell, am I supposed to be like a policeman? And he said, not exactly that, but here's the deal. Until you actually know firsthand what level of reliability someone will be. What is their load capacity? Either intellectually, skill-wise, time-wise, whatever. Since you gave them the job, you need to stay on top of it. Now, there's ways to do that. Lots of systems, not just memory. You'll learn that. He said, and don't feel bad. I knew you'd go through it. I wanted to throw you in the water and let you learn how to swim. I go, well, thanks a lot. Okay. <laughs> I really appreciate that. I just lost five years of my life. I appreciate you much, okay? So for every year I live past 75, I mean, so that's it. And what I learned is it's not about micromanaging. It's about learning your people. Now, tell me about that from a coach's standpoint in baseball. How do you do that? In well, you know, interesting is baseball especially is a mental game. And so you got to get in people's heads, Oh, didn't we talk about this last week? Didn't we talk about mindset? Yes, that's where it is. Baseball is the biggest sport in terms of mindset. If I get in a guy's head 
and show him what he's doing wrong or actually the other side of that, show him how to do it better and not five things, but one thing. Try this. Turn your hands just a little bit. Let me show you how you want to do this swing and how you want to get in better position. And that's what you do is you're coaching them along. And then it's then back to small victories. Ah, look at this. How well you hit that ball. With baseball players, it is consistency. And it's building up muscle memory. And it is an individual game. It's a team game. But the important thing is that they learn along the way. How do you learn along the way? Small victories. On behalf of the guests who are golfers, you're bringing back painful memories here. Oh, yes. <laughs> the coach tries to get you to do three things in one lesson. Not one thing. Yes. Do these three things. Shift your body. Turn your, <laughs> turn your head. Get and do club, them all the first time. Get the time. club this way. Get the, No. <laughs> Which is but why we do that with employees. I sold my time. clubs. I sold my clubs thirty years ago. So it's <laughs> but yet owners do that. Managers do that because it seems so natural to them. They figure everyone else. I understood it. Therefore, should I be able to do it? Talk about baseball. It's a lot like the really good ball player who becomes a manager or a coach. The one who best comes to mind is Ted Williams. Ted Williams was probably the greatest natural hitter who ever existed. And also probably the worst manager, because he thought everybody ought to be like him. He thought they were thinking the way he was thinking. No, you have to know how they're thinking. You have to put yourself in their shoes, not them in yours. I learned this. I was 16 years old, and my brother came to me and said that their little league coach had quit. And would I take over the coaching? I was playing for two teams, and come on, I can't do that. That's how I learned how to manage. I had 12 kids. I had to manage 12 different ways. So if failure is inevitable in the process of going from incompetent to automatic, in effect, expertise. Failure is part of the process. It's the way you fail. There's a phrase of fail early, fail often. Yeah, Absolutely. But learn from every failure. But you once said to me, celebrate them. What are you talking about? <laughs> it's kind of like when somebody does something, like a new employee or, perfect example, selling. Selling everybody, if you came up with a technology company, the technologists or the even the CEO of that company thought selling was so easy because the product just sold itself. Nothing sells itself. But what we had in this company was, I came in, this was a turnaround. And I've done this in a couple of companies. I installed a gong. <laughs> and, <laughs> and when the sales guys closed the sale, they got to beat the gong. That's a small victory. And they get to celebrate it. And the whole company comes and celebrates it with them. Awesome. So, so yeah, sorry. I'm going to say, you hear about all these people with team building and let's go do a team building. Actually, <sighs> we'll go climb ropes and stuff like that. <laughs> is, is there better ways to have fun? Oh, for sure. For sure. I mean, that kind of stuff is wonderful if you're a Fortune 500 company and it's something that somebody paid for and wonderful. For a small company, no. Go bowling. Go yeah, bowling. Go bowling. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly right, Stan. 
Go have a holiday party. Go have a picnic. I'm in a city. I have to admit, I'm going to probably get shunned by a lot of our audience or some of the big company people, but I get that whole team building routine as like fad diets. Exactly. Like how oh, long do yeah. they really last? It lasts about a week after, I think. <laughs> and most of the time when it lasts, people are laughing about it. Do you remember that when we did that thing? It's so stupid. So how can we have fun then? But see, part of the problem is that in many companies, fun's almost not allowed. One of the funniest guys I ever met in my life was Herb Kelleher, who was CEO of Southwest Airlines. And how I met him was funny. I mean- You're both flying Delta? No, both flying American, actually. <laughs> okay. Because in those days, Southwest was just a regional airline. And I finally, I met up with him. And I mean, the stories he would tell, incredible. Incredible. But that's why you saw the, you, remember the Southwest commercials? It was always a lot of fun that was going on there. People enjoyed it. Oh, yeah. They were known for that. And they still do. They talk about culture variation from oh, what they did. They were like breaking the eggshell. Yeah. And it came from him directly. Well, and we also know the high-tech industries, the Googles, et cetera, the world, with the whole different workforce, the younger workforce and their culture versus it's almost like the employee-driven culture rather than employer-driven culture. Interesting enough, that's the culture you want. You'll notice, and this is good, so we wrap this whole thing around now because we were talking about manpower. Well, most companies, when you talk to them, especially small companies, They've read the latest thing and they want to be customer-centric. No, be employee-centric because your employees will treat your customers exactly the way they're treated. So you want to be customer-centric, be employee-centric first. You'll get that. So we'll call it love rolls downhill. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, Stan, let me do a 30-second recap. Today, we talked about manpower, really the people you employ, and that's where your culture starts. It's built on your values as an owner, and those values are translated to the employees as a foundation of mutual trust and respect. Reemphasizing, employees will treat customers the exact same way they're treated. It starts with how you hire. You always hire for skills and experience for the position, but hire for culture. And remember, Allow employees to fail and make it a teachable moment. Celebrate small victories and don't forget having fun is allowed. Well, Lonnie, I guess we're going to wrap this up. Maybe we should tell our audience, our guests, what we're going to talk about on the next podcast. Yes. Tell us about the next podcast, Stan. Well, we were going to talk about when you feel trapped. Yes. I'm sorry. That's right. <laughs> the, next, <laughs> the next podcast is about feeling trapped. Now, I know none of you out there has ever felt trapped, like I'm a prisoner in my own company. That I started so I'd have more freedom. Yeah. <laughs> that my father told me I love doing. The irony <laughs> of all of that. The very irony. So that's what we're talking about next week. It's the second M, management. And I'm sure we'll hit some nerves next week as well. So if you've enjoyed our podcast today, or you missed last week, please tell your friends and neighbors about it. We'd love to have you, and we hopefully will get you to send your requests, just like a record player, to info at SB, the small business, SB, virtualroundtables.com. We will welcome 
your feedback. You've been listening to the Small Business Wake-Up Call, the podcast providing eye-opening insights and perhaps a caffeine high to better run your business. Delivered in Stan Simpkins and Lonnie Shambi's own unique style. Head on over to svvirtualroundtables.com where you can connect with Lonnie and Stan, subscribe to the show, find more resources, and check out their monthly 90-minute virtual roundtables. Thanks for listening to the Small Business Wake-Up Call. Call.